Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, you just saw the title on the screen and just in the essence of full disclosure, I want you to know I don't wake up in the morning and think, wow, I get to talk about the Antichrist today. <laughs> Last week, I was excited to bring the talk, but at the same time, I think this is so very important that we understand where we are in history and in regard to the future. So uh, you saw the title today is Antichrist, but I wanna let you know because we're entering the section of Revelation that is about the tribulation on earth, so we'll be referring to him as we go along. But today I wanna to just begin to talk to you about what the Bible means when it uses the term Antichrist in reference to a person. So we're in Revelation chapter six, if memory serves correct, that's page 993 if you have a New Spring Bible. Um, last week, we were in chapter five, and we were in the throne room of God, and God the Father had in his hand a scroll with seven seals. And we said that that scroll, that book that some of the translations would refer to, that scroll as, that that uh, scroll, those seven seals, had to do with what's gonna happen on the earth during the seven-year period of time that we refer to as the tribulation. So as we begin to talk about those seals. Today, I wanna to let you know that I see very clearly, biblically speaking, what's happening. But there are details that are over my pay grade. And so in this series, and I've tried to make this clear from the very beginning, we're going to stay on the main highways. We're gonna stay with what we know for sure. There are a lot of questions that we have. Some of those perhaps could be answered. You know, I remember teaching through the book of Revelation in 1991, and it took a whole year. and we could talk about, well, there's this interpretation or that interpretation, but with the time that we have, we just really don't have, uh, we don't have time to do all that. We just need to ma mainly focus on what the Bible says clearly, and as I told you in week one, this is all about what kind of people should we be living in these times. Now, Mary Alice likes that 1991 series, and as I go back there, I think about how I saw the future, biblically speaking, in 1991, and to be honest with you, I had sort of a feeling that it was telescopic in nature because there were so many things that, even though there were no signs left to be fulfilled before the rapture, there were just a lot of things that I looked at when I looked at the makeup of the world geopolitically, I just didn't see happening. So in 1991, I felt like I was looking forward to the future, sharing with the people what the Bible said. Today, I don't feel like I'm looking telescopically. I feel like I'm looking out my window because as I'll share with you in this message, I think we're seeing the last empire beginning to form. Now, I wanna to talk to you about this just to follow flight plan. Uh, I will not be here next week. I'll be, Mary Allison, I'll be at the marriage, marriage retreat. We have a New Spring favorite who's gonna be speaking to you. Dr. Charles Lowry will be here next weekend at New Spring. And I know you love that. We're looking forward to Charles coming. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to bring a sequel to this message called The Last Empire. So. We're really gonna be slowing this down for the next three messages uh, as we go through the book of Revelation. In fact, I'll probably preach uh, three weeks from just Revelation chapter six, verses one through three. So let me just simply say this about the last empire. Our world is about to go through the darkest season in the history 
of the world uh, in what we call the tribulation. So today, I want to uh, tell you what the tribulation is all about. It is God judging the world. And it is the world going through what it must go through before God can reestablish what he established in the Garden of Eden. And we will live in that kingdom, thankfully, for a thousand years, and then we go into the eternal state. Those are things I'll talk about. If that's a little vague, don't worry about that. As we get to the end of the series, we get in chapters uh, 21 and 22, those things will become very clear. But when I talk about God judging the world, we need to take a few moments and talk about what I mean by that term, world. When the Bible says in John 3:16 that God so loves the world, I think we understand that what we're talking about there is the people. Uh, world there in John 3:16 is not what we're talking about when we talk of God judging the world. It's verses like this that help us understand. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, do not love this world. Well, clearly, we've got to be talking about something else because we just read God loves the world. So world there's got to mean two different things in these verses. Let's read on. Do not love this world or the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So already we get a clue there that world must mean something more than people. In James chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God? In John 15, as Jesus was spending the last evening with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, he said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So very clearly, one more time, when the Bible uses the word world in that context, we're not talking about the same thing the Bible talks about in John chapter 3, verse 16. So what are we talking about? We get a clue in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where the Bible says Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. If you wonder why people say and do and think crazy things, insane things in our culture and feel like they're being righteous, that is why Satan is the God of this world in that context. And the Bible says he's blinded their minds so that they can't see what you see. Now, this awful time that we're entering into in Revelation 6, going all the way through chapter 19, is about God judging what we just read called the world. Now, I want you to hear how tough these seven years are going to be. Jesus said this in a sermon that we call the Olivet Discourse. He was on the Mount of Olives. He was teaching his disciples about the last days, and they were asking him, what are the signs of your return? And, he, and Jesus began to give a sermon. If you want to read this entire sermon, you could read it in Matthew 24 and 25. But Jesus said this. This is how he described the tribulation period. There will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now look at verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. So in other words, if the tribulation period would last 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, it could be that no one on the earth would survive. So that's how bad the coming tribulation is. And the reason why I bring that to your attention is this world has seen some bad things. When we think about the Holocaust or we think about just uh, travesties, perhaps in Bolshevik Russia in the early days where millions of people were killed, and yet the Bible says that the tribulation period will be worse than any other time in history. And if those years were not cut short, no one would survive. So here we go. What is the Bible talking about when it talks about the world in the context of the verses that we just read? It is the system 
that began when our first parents sinned and turned the kingdom authority that God gave them over to Satan. That happened in Genesis chapter 3. God put Adam and Eve, he put the human race, us by extension, in paradise, and he gave them one rule. He threw them a real slow pitch, and he said, here's one rule, just don't break it. It wasn't about the tree, it wasn't about the fruit, it was just about obedience versus disobedience. And when Adam and Eve sinned, when they bought into what Satan said, what they basically did is they surrendered the kingdom authority that God gave them. You read about that in Genesis 1 and 2. They surrendered the kingdom authority that humans were given over the earth. They surrendered it to God's worst enemy, Satan. And so right now, we're living in a world system that Jesus called Satan, uh, the God of this world. And I love what Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says. The Bible says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We were born in the wrong kingdom. Everybody is, because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. But when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God removed you, even though you're still living on the earth, he removed you from the world. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you don't belong to this world. They have been removed from the world system and transferred, enrolled into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's why the Bible talks about your name being written down in heaven. In other words, your name is in the census book of the kingdom of heaven. One more time, the Bible says God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You're to take your attendance card away from Satan and give it to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? I love that. I've told you this silly story before, but I remember um, when I was in the sixth grade in Texas, in those days, um, sixth grade was still in elementary school. It was in the process of being moved to middle school, but I was in the sixth grade, and uh, there was an achievement test that was given to us. You remember those tests where you had like a lot of circles, and you had to take a pencil and fill in the circles. That was the answer sheet, a little book that asked the questions. But this was a second achievement test. I'd always taken the Iowa test of basic skills, but we'd already taken that. So this was just a different one. But I got to tell you, I, I am a reader. I, if, if I'm eating, I'm reading. I mean, anything I'm doing, I'm reading. I have to have a book all the time. I guess it's just part of being ADD. And I was that way growing up. And so when our teacher gave us these tests, she said, now, when you get through with this test, you can read a book. She wanted us to stay quiet. And I thought to myself, I know how to get through with this test. And so what I did was I just circled, I just filled in the circles at random. And I got through with the test real fast. So I'd read my book and then I'd take you know, the math test and the language test and history test and social studies and all that. And uh, what I did not know was that that test was going to set up where we would be placed in which classes in middle school. In those days, I went to a large middle school in Fort Worth. There were remedial classes that had to, you know, students there were looking at the previous year, and then there were the regular classes, and there were honors classes, and there were accelerated classes. Accelerated, you were a year ahead. So when I get to Fort Stoke Middle School in Fort Worth, I'm in the remedial class. And I've always been a political junkie. So I remember being in social studies in like the first or second day. And the social studies teacher wanted to show us that we didn't know anything about government. So I think the test that he gave the class was to ask the question, who's the governor of Texas? Who's the attorney general? Who's the secretary of state? Um, who's the mayor of Fort Worth? And then he had a bonus question on there and said, can you name any of the Supreme Court justices? 
Well, as I said, I'm a political junkie. I could name, I think I named about five of the Supreme Court justices. And he looked at my test. He knew something was really out of line. And I never will forget the day when he said, uh, and he didn't know me to call me Mark yet. He said, Stephen Hoover, would you come up here to the desk, please? And he gave me the attendance card, and he said, ultimately, I wound up reporting to the accelerated class. I never will forget taking my attendance card from one class to another class. And whenever I read that verse, I always think about that experience. The Bible says we were born because of sin into the kingdom of darkness. Our parents sin and our sin. But praise God, when we accepted Jesus Christ, we, just told, we were told to go pick up our attendance card from Satan and turn it into Jesus Christ. And even though we're living in this world, we are part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news today? And so, and so we do not come under the condemnation of the world. Always remember this, hell was never meant for people. It was meant for Satan and his angels. But if a person refuses to leave Satan's kingdom, then they're under Satan's judgment. Now, from Genesis chapter 3, that kingdom of darkness, the world system, has ruled. Now, somebody could ask a question. You could say, well, Mark, I don't understand. How can God be in charge of everything and Satan be the God of this world? Okay, imagine this for a moment. Suppose you own your house, and I know that some of you will have to be a little older to, for this illustration. And suppose that you're old enough that you have adult kids, so you own your house and you own the house next door. And you basically give your kids the right to the house that you own next door. And for some crazy reason, they give a three-year lease to your absolute worst enemy. Now from that moment on, you live next door to your worst enemy and you cannot expel that worst enemy because there is a lease. So consequently, you have to deal with the parties they throw, the loud music they play, the people that come and hang out, the damage that's being done to your house because there is a legitimate lease. Now, the Bible tells us that we were all born into that leased house, but I'm thankful that the verse we read in the book of Colossians tells us that it is possible to move out of that house and to move in by faith and by grace into the house owned by God. But we still live in the neighborhood, don't we? And I think that's what we feel today. We belong to God, but we're living in the neighborhood of a house that's been leased to God's worst enemy. But when we come to Revelation chapter 6, that lease is about up. And what's happening in Revelation 6 through 19 is God is dealing with that least situation where it can be finalized, where this earth becomes what God intended it for it to, for it to be all along. Now, God not only is going to deal with that lease, but he's also going to deal with the damage that he, Satan, and his demons and his people have done to the house during that lease. So enough introduction. Here we go, exploring the seven-year tribulation that's going to happen on the earth. It begins, and it's really important that we see this, it begins when Jesus breaks the first seal. If you were here last week, you know that the only one worthy qualified to open the seven seals, which again, that's what's gonna happen on the earth, the only one qualified is Jesus. So these seals are so important. Now, here's the first seal that breaks. Here we go, Revelation 6, verse one. I watched as the lamb, who's the lamb? Jesus. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures, those are angels, cherubim, say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. 
we have just watched the clock begin of the seven-year tribulation period. And the first thing that happens is there is a rider on a white horse. Now, um, the question could be asked, are we talking about Jesus here? Because we have read in the latter part of the book of Revelation how that Jesus will ride out at the battle of Armageddon on a white horse. So we have a rider in a white horse late in the book. We have a rider on a white horse now. Is this Jesus? And the answer is no, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's Jesus breaking the seal that causes the rider to ride out. Secondly, it's a very different kind of crown. We'll cover that later. And third, when this rider rides out, it begins the tribulation. When Jesus rides out, it's gonna end the tribulation with the victory at Armageddon and the beginning of his kingdom. So for that and a lot more reasons, this is not Jesus. Different rider. Biggest clue is that the rider rides out with a bow and no arrows. We'll get to that in just a moment. But here's the question that I want you and me to tackle for a little bit, especially as we begin to enter into the dark part of the book of Revelation. You and me, as Christ followers, are we there at that point? In other words, when the tribulation begins, are we in the tribulation? There are those who say yes. There are those who say the tribulation, uh, the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. There are some that say it happens at the end, which is really bizarre because why would the Lord take us up only to bring us back? But there, those, those are just bizarre easily defeatable concepts anyway. But I want to ask the question today, and especially in the context of the Antichrist riding out, because we're going to see real clearly something about the rapture that we need to see. I want to take you now to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And if you have a Bible, if you have an electronic device, you can just look at these verses. If not, you can look at them later. But let me just give you a little backstory on what's going on in Thessalonica. Um, they're going through a tough time. And so some of the people in the church at Thessalonica believed that what they were experiencing was the beginning of the tribulation. They're not the only generation to feel that way. I think there are other generations that have thought perhaps because of the horrible things that were happening, maybe they had entered the tribulation. So Paul is writing them to explain to them, no, the tribulation has not started. But I want you to see the things that he says to them in that context. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters... Let us clarify some things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and look at this next line, and how we will be gathered to meet him. Now, I've got that set off in my notes because that's a reference to the rapture, how we would be gathered. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord, that's a reference to the tribulation, has already begun. Don't be fooled by what they say. Huge verse right here. For that day, what day? The day that begins tribulation. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Time out. We need to just spend a little time here. What is it that kicks off the tribulation? What kicks off the tribulation is the Antichrist riding out. He is the man of lawlessness. Notice that the great rebellion against God happens before that. So consequently, this great rebellion, some use the word apostasy. The old translation says falling away. In other words, it means people that claim to follow Jesus don't follow Jesus anymore. People that claim to believe the Bible act like they don't believe it anymore. The Bible says there will be a huge apostasy. Since the Antichrist begins the tribulation, I look at this, and as I said a moment ago, 
this great falling away, this great apostasy has to happen before the tribulation begins. Ladies and gentlemen, we are watching that happen as I speak. I already gave you statistics in this series how that probably only 4% of the America has a biblical worldview when many claim to be followers of Jesus. No wonder Jesus said at the judgment, there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, I will say, I never knew you. Now, verse six takes us to a very important place. And you know what is holding him back. Who's the him? The Antichrist. You know what's holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness... In other words, it means the kind of lawlessness that the Antichrist will, will espouse. This lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one, notice that we're talking about a person here, the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Verse 8, first word, very important, then. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Okay, what have we learned so far? We have learned that the Antichrist is coming. There's going to be a great apostasy, and then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. But someone is holding him back. Someone is holding the tribulation back. When that one is taken out, then the Antichrist will be revealed. Let me read it in the Amplified. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world, but it is restrained only until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Okay, we're talking about a person. We're talking about an angel? No, no angel will be strong enough to restrain Satan. We know it's not God the Father, we just saw him on the throne. It's not Jesus because we just saw him breaking the seals. Who are we talking about here? Only one person. Bible scholars who believe the Bible are universal on this. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. So let's just run a subtotal. What do we have? Antichrist is coming. He's gonna start a world empire. He's being held back. He can't come on the scene. As long as he's being held back, Holy Spirit is holding him back, but he's coming. He's got a time that God has set to allow him to build his kingdom. But that won't happen until the great apostasy, which we're watching happen right now in our times. Now, let's talk about for just a few moments what that means about the Holy Spirit being in our world and then being taken out of the way. You and I live in, we saw this in Revelation 2 and 3, we live in the church age. Um, that was something, and we'll cover this perhaps in two weeks. In the old covenant, they couldn't see the church. But God had a great plan. God had a plan to bring peoples from all nations together in a church in an age of grace. We live in that age right now. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who like to study your Bible, what was it that kicked off the church? Now, we've been talking about what kicks off the tribulation. We know that's the Antichrist. But what was it that kicked off the church? Who was it who kicked off the church? I mean, when Jesus left town, he said to his disciples, you guys, you wait. You, don't you start without somebody. He said, you wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came in his supernatural birthing. The church began. The church began. In fact, what identifies the church is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said he's already in the world. He lives with you in the book of John, Jesus said. But he, when he comes, he will be in you. So that is what makes the church the church. As flawed as we are, what makes New Spring New Spring is the Holy Spirit of God. Who is it that makes the Word of God come alive in your life? So many of you will write me and thank you for your kindness. You say, Mark, when you talk, I, I understand. Hey, it's not Mark. 
It's the Holy Spirit of God. I, I preach the word. You love the word. The Holy Spirit makes it come alive inside of you. Who is it? Who is it that changes lives? We hear these baptism testimonies about people who talk about how dark their lives were. Many of them talk about being in a place where they thought about taking their life. Who was it who reached out and brought them into the family of God and made them the brothers and sisters, the warriors, the, the champions of God? That we, Some of you were there, the Bible says, and yet the Lord has brought you into his kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. What makes New Spring? New Spring is not Mark Hoover. It is not our beautiful facilities. It is not our awesome volunteers. It is not the greatest worship team I've ever heard in my life. What makes New Spring? New Spring is the Holy Spirit of God is here. And if the Holy Spirit, if he were to be taken out of here, then lock the back doors and turn it over to the Antichrist. And right now the Holy Spirit is holding the Antichrist back because see, God's got work. I mean, in this series, rare, rare has been the weekend where we haven't seen a hundred people give their lives to Christ. The Lord is building his family. And I think in an intense kind of way, I mean, what, I believe one of the weekends at New Spring during the Revelation series, we saw 140 people accept Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. But you saw what I saw. The moment is coming when the Holy Spirit is taken out. And the Bible said then, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Now, let me ask you a question. You, you, you all are smarter than I am. If the person who began this church, and all churches, on the day of Pentecost, if the person who began the church, if the person who gives the church identity is taken out, how could we, who are part of the church, be left here? Well, that logic calculus is pretty easy. But there are a whole lot of scriptures. I mean, I, I, if you're really interested in this, I did a talk in one of the other class series called Will We Be Evacuated Before the Storm? If you want to just pull up a whole message on that topic, you can do that. I want to show you something. Do you remember when we were in Revelation 2 and 3? That's the church age there, the seven churches. Remember that? Now, I'm going to run the risk of boring you here for a minute. There's a verse that occurs over and over and over in Revelation 2 and 3. I want to read it to you, okay? Here we go. Same thing, so I want to warn you ahead of time, I'm going to say the same thing seven times. Revelation 2, 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Moving to chapter 3. Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? That's Revelation 2 and 3. Chapter 6, the tribulation begins. In the tribulation section, Revelation 13, we have a very interesting statement. You want to look at it? Verse 9, chapter 13. He who has an ear, let him hear. Hmm. Two entities are missing, right? The Spirit and the church. Because see, we're not in the tribulation. We've been evacuated before the storm. Now, with that in mind, Jesus breaks the first seal and the Antichrist rides out. Now it is time for us to deal with that expression that I said most identifies this as the Antichrist. The Bible says he rides out with a bow 
and no arrows. Very peculiar. Why would a person ride out with a weapon but no ammunition? I'm an old guy. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I, as I've told you through the years, my dad took me to every revival except Creedence Clearwater. And I say that for all of you baby boomers. And those of you who are rock and roll historians. Um, and I heard this particular text talked about a lot. And the idea was that what the Antichrist would do is he would begin his regime in a time of disarmament. That made sense because those were the Cold War days and there were all the disarmament talks. And I think, to be honest with you, I preach that. And there's another reason why, to some, to some level, there's a little bit of legitimacy to that concept because we know the Antichrist will begin the tribulation by uh, doing a seven-year deal with Israel. But maybe we, should have, maybe we should have paid attention to something else. See, there was a line in this verse that always troubled me. When I heard preachers preach this is all about disarmament, I, I, I looked at the second line that said, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Our translation, the New Living Translation, says he goes out to win many battles. So here we've got to think about this for a moment. He's going out to, do, to get victory over the world system but he's going out with a weapon with no ammunition. Maybe we should have paid more attention to something the Bible says later in the book of Revelation. In verse 16 of chapter 13, the Bible says he required everyone to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and here's the line we should have watched more closely. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark. And then verse 18 goes on to say the number there is 666. See, what we should have paid more attention to was no one could buy or sell anything. Next, two weeks from now, when we talk about the last empire, understand this. The last empire, the Antichrist kingdom, is not military, it's economic. That's very clear in Revelation 17 and 18. It's an economic empire. I mean, if you think about conquering the world, you couldn't conquer the world. I mean, not, not even the most powerful nation in the world could conquer the entire world in seven years. This is something that turns on a dime. This is something that happens instantly. You see, see, the thing about it is the reason why prophecy scholars couldn't see this 30 years ago, we didn't understand last day's technology. I mean, if you think about how one person could control the entire world, all it would take is the end of personal privacy, the end of a tangible currency, maybe a single global currency, universal system of electronic transactions. And say, for instance, some centralized global power was able to gain, a control, gain control of an essential utility, say electricity. You know, already we're looking, there's a move in our nation to ban the sale of gas appliances. We're moving very much to focusing on electricity. Now, there's, I, I'm, not, I, I'm getting way ahead of myself. This belongs in a future sermon. It is interesting. The Bible says the Antichrist empire implodes in one hour. Wow, that's interesting. If something happened to the electric, electric grid, I, like I said, I didn't mean to say that this morning. I won't say that at 11, 11.15. 11, 
So suppose you just basically have everything running on electricity, appliances, automobiles, financial transactions, you have to have a code to access it. It would really be important, I think, in the last stage to keep down identity theft. I mean, the reason why it's on your hand or your forehead is we live in a world, especially with AI coming, we live in a world where one of the biggest challenges to the world's economics is identity theft. What if you had, what if using a card or using a code wouldn't work? What if you had it actually on your person? Then you could prove you are who you say you are when you're part of a transaction. You could pull this off. I don't mean you personally, I just mean you generically. You could conquer the world, and this is first century language, with a bow and no arrows. No, we're not there, and we're not going to be here when there comes. But I'll tell you what this feels like. I grew up in Texas. We used to have violent storms. I know you had them here, but oftentimes when I was a kid on a hot summer day, it might be 105 degrees, and I'd see those storm clouds building up west of our house. And if it was a coming hell storm, that, crowd, that cloud would be green. And I'd be playing out in the front yard, and it's 105 degrees, the sweat's pouring down everywhere. And all of a sudden, though, the temperature would change drastically because the wind off that hill would start blowing. And the cloud wasn't here, and the rain wasn't here yet, and the hail wasn't here yet, but I could feel that cold wind blowing off that hell storm. Ladies and gentlemen, that is where we are right now. We're looking at a nation. We're looking at a country where insanity is becoming righteousness. We're, look, we're living in a world where Satan's stuff is becoming what is worshiped in our nation today, even among some who claim to be Christians. File that away for the great apostasy. And some of you are already dealing with this. If you were to embrace Jesus in a public way, no one would arrest you yet. You're not in Canada. But you could lose your job. If you were to say something so simple, I mean, everybody said this just 10 years ago. Left, right, center. If you were just to say today that you believe there are only two genders, you wouldn't be arrested but you could be fired. Or social media, a gang would target your business. And so you know what it is. I mean, you know what I know. You're, you're very careful about what you say or post. We're not there, but we see it coming. And we feel the cold wind. Next time I talk to you, I'm going to pick this up and we're going to talk about the last empire. But I got to tell you what, though. And as I said, when I got up this morning, I didn't think, oh boy, I, can't, I get to go talk about the Antichrist. But there's great news. Because you remember, Jesus said these days are going to be shortened. So what's going to happen to the Antichrist? Spoiler alert, okay? We'll get there later in this book. But let me just go ahead and pick up 2 Thessalonians 2. We already looked there. That's where the Bible talked to us about the Antichrist. The Bible says the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his clump coming. You know the glory that you sang about a little while ago? When Jesus comes, that glory is going to wipe him out. Love that. But here's my favorite text. 
We're talking now about when all the nations of the world have gathered against Israel in the Valley of Megiddo. We're talking about the beginning of Armageddon. Here we go, Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse, different white horse, was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, that's you and me, dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army and the beast, the Antichrist, was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on his behalf, on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and a little later, the Bible says that burning sulfur is going to torment them day and night forever and ever. So he's going to have his day, but it's not going to last very long. Jesus is going to take care of him. Hey, it's just me talking, but I sure want to be sure I'm on the right side. I know which army I want to be part of. And I know that I'm unpopular in our world today, and some of you already heard the talk today, and you're like, oh, Mark, I think you're just a Neanderthal. <laughs> well, I'm not, the smart, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But you know, I know what the Word of God says, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but yesterday I was reading the scholarship of a Bible teacher in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And of course, at that point, Israel was nowhere close to reforming as a nation. And I read his work as he defined specifically things that are happening today. And the only reason he did was he had the word of God. And that's where we're working today. We've got the word of God. And when the world seems crazy and out of sync, the Bible tells us what's going to happen. And so I say today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ, the real Christ, to be your Lord and Savior, you can be transferred. You can take your attendance card out of the kingdom of darkness. You can turn it into Jesus and have your name written in heaven. And when Jesus comes, you'll go home with him. If you want that today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Would you just bow your heads with me, please? If you're watching online or on television, you can join me. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And you, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can say these words if you like. It's not the words, it's what's in your heart. But if you believe these things and you want to say them to God, you can today. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. But I cannot save myself. I believe you love me. I believe that you died to pay for my sins. And I believe you arose from the grave. And I believe you're coming again. I don't understand everything. But I accept what the Bible says by faith. Jesus, come into my life and be my king. In Jesus' name. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. If you're watching online or on 
television, all you have to do is text the word pray to 97,000. Let me tell you what's in this box. It's a new spring Bible like I preach from. And then also a little book I wrote called My New Walk with God. It'll answer a lot of questions, some other cool stuff. So if you're watching online, text prayed to 97,000, follow the steps and we'll mail this to you. But if you're on our campus today, you don't have to wait. Just text prayed to 97,000, go out to any info center. You'll recognize it by the blue and white and just say, I prayed with Mark and they'll give this to you. They won't hassle you or stalk you or bother. They just want to give this to you so you can take it home and get started. Thanks for being here today. In two weeks, The Last Empire, Charles Lowry here next week. See you soon. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.